So let's get into the Word of God here, Psalms 27. Um, 14 verses here tonight. I, I, I want to, we got about 40 minutes. I want to try to get through the whole psalm. So I'm not going to read it all the way through. We'll just kind of set it up and just go through it verse at a time. Uh, it's another psalm of David. And uh, most of his commentators agree that David wrote this when he was in exile. Um, you know, for those 10 years or so in the wilderness, uh, you know, fleeing from Saul, who was king at the time, who wanted to kill him for ungodly reasons and out of jealousy and envy and really even out of uh, demonic uh, oppression as those evil spirits would come upon Saul. And that's a tragic, tragic uh, account of that man's life. Uh, and many people would even look at the situation uh, practically and say, wow, Saul's got it all and David's got nothing as he was out there in the wilderness. But really, the exact opposite was true. David was a man that, you know, drew near to the Lord. And many of these psalms that ministered to our hearts were written out there as the Holy Spirit moved upon him. And in this psalm in particular, we see David longing uh, to be in the tabernacle of the Lord, to be uh, there worshiping the Lord where uh, you know, at that time, the, the Holy of Holies were, and sacrifices were brought before the Lord. But as he worshipped, or as he longed to worship in the tabernacle, uh, he worshipped in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, it kind of struck a chord in my heart because, uh, you know, we know we have access to the Holy of Holies, to the shed blood of the Lord, and we can enter in boldly, and we have fellowship with the Lord. Uh, but at the same time, look at where we're, we're here and he's with us, but the day is coming when we're no longer going to look through a dim glass, you know, a glass that's dim. We're going to see him face to face, and, you know, we're going to know, know as we're known. And uh, we long for that day, and it's, it's, not, it's not believers with a death wish, because, listen, uh, we got great reasons to rejoice and celebrate life, and, and life is given by God, and he gives it, and he takes it away. But at the same time, you know, even in walking in fellowship with the Lord here, I mean, we long, we long, you know, for the coming of the Lord. And some days we long more than others, right? I've, I've had a day where I've longed more than other days. And uh, I, it just kind of hit, it struck a chord where David's in the wilderness and he's worshiping, but he's longing to be there, you know, in the tabernacle. And, uh, you know, I think we can identify that. Listen, in Christ, we know him here, we worship him here, we have fellowship with him here, he's with us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but we know where we're going. And we read about that heavenly tabernacle and how these things are even a, a shadow of, of the substance, you know, where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And so, you know, just kind of set, that, set, up, set this up with that because, uh, you know, I, I think that that can help us make application to where we are now. Uh, I don't know if anyone here is in exile running from a king tonight. Maybe you are. Uh, maybe you feel like you're in exile running from somebody. But uh, I think that, that there's application in that. And so with that said, let's just start reading through this and, and look at here what David was, uh, you know, singing to the Lord and expressing to the Lord and, and make some applications to our own walks with Christ. So the first verse here, he says, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it's amazing how many times the scripture talks about light. And uh, you know what? There's no doubt that we are in a, in a darkened, fallen world. Uh, you know, Satan has been described before as the prince of darkness. And we know that we are born children of wrath. And uh, you know what? 
we're born in darkness spiritually. And uh, bottom line is we need light. Uh, you run around in the darkness and, and bad stuff happens. And I don't care who you are. You're going you're gonna to fall on something. You're going to hit something. You can get jumped by something. You run around in the darkness long enough and the end result's not going to be good. And spiritually, uh, the end result's even worse if we stay in that darkness. And we absolutely, you know, need light. Uh, in the course of that, we got to be aware that there's a lot of things that pose as light that are false lights. You know, again, it's a fallen world. Uh, we know in Satan, with Satan, with the enemy of our soul, there's, there's not light, there's darkness. Yet he wants to appear and at times, uh, you know, it will transform himself, as this is in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen into an angel of light. And uh, boy, there's a lot of things today, especially, you know, in, in the time we're living in, uh, it's interesting, you start looking at history, and major things happen in history when people, it seems, start running out of hope. Uh, a lot of times in Scripture, major things happen when, when men are, uh, you know, in, 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 in kind of hopelessness comes to a peak. You know, when Christ came, a lot of historians believe it was in a, in a time when, when maybe the world had the least amount of hope because of just, just oppressions and so forth, and... Uh, just a lack of, of, of promise and so forth and where the state of, of the world was even in rebellion against God. And we'll look at this here in a second. Christ came and, and was that light. And uh, when we were in Genesis, we even talked about those prophecies of the sons of, of uh, Abraham and Naphtali and Zebulun, how you know, the light would come to this land of darkness where people sat in, in darkness and Christ would come as a light. And I think with that as well, though, you know, when people are, are hopeless, it's all the more the enemy has opportunity to give forth false hope. And, uh, you know, beautifully, though, listen, uh, you can only counterfeit something that is legitimate and real. And uh, there's a lot of things posing uh, as light that aren't. Uh, they're counterfeits to the true light. And uh, tonight, do you know the true light? Do you know Jesus Christ? Uh, David knew. You know, as again, read this in context and you can see that he's understanding in exile, it seems like a place of darkness, but he rejoices in the fact that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And uh, Jesus Christ himself said in John 8, 12, uh, it says, then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And notice what he says here. He doesn't say, I am a light, but he says, I am the light. And Jesus is the one that absolutely uh, put all this into motion. Uh, you know, when light came forth, it was from the hand of God. And light in the sense of life and the, the giving of life that comes from light, purity and uprightness, it's only found in one place in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And David here is rejoicing in that. The Lord is my light. Now, again, uh, this is before Christ came, but that doesn't mean that David wasn't worshiping Christ. He had an understanding that the Messiah would come and the Messiah when he came would, would be the Son of God, would be, again, the Lord God Almighty. Uh, we look back and we know who that person is. He looked forward knowing that person would come. And so absolutely, the Lord is my light. And tonight, let me ask you, in the midst of a dark world, in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of, you know, an enemy that wants to come against us, uh, tonight, can you say, you know the light, you know Jesus Christ, can you say amen to that? Amen. 
Um, and look at, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And that's a glorious thing as well. Because again, man sat in darkness and, and you know what, that light came. And John 3 talks about this, how some men fled from the light and others came into the light. Uh, and Jesus didn't have to do that at all, but he did. I love uh, Luke 1, And this is when uh, uh, Mary's being spoken to by Michael the archangel. And he's basically telling her what's going on. Telling her, you're a virgin, you're going to be a child. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, uh, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. I think I've got the context wrong here. To give, you, uh, to, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins through the tender mercy of our God, uh, which, uh, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and a shadow of death to guard our feet into the way of peace. And it just speaks to, again, Christ when he came being that light, Christ giving light and absolutely uh, making that way of salvation. And David knew that. And I think we need to remember that again in the midst of just a dark world. And let's face it, as Christians, sometimes we're going to go through dark times. We just are. We're going to go through times of difficulty. Let's remember who is the light and let's remember who offers that salvation and be found turning to him. And notice what he says next. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you ever find your heart full of fear? Maybe tonight you're here and you're full of fear. And if you're not, I bet if you thought long enough, you could provoke some fear into your heart. You know, sometimes we just think too much. And, and we allow those thoughts to come up, you know. And, and I probably could start saying stuff right now. Hey, you know, what's going on in your house right now? And, you know, did, you heard that siren earlier or whatever else. Uh, but whom shall we fear? It's a legitimate question. He is the strength of our life uh, when we are found in Christ, when we put our faith in Him, when we trust Him to be our Lord and Savior. And, and bottom line, it's a legitimate question, whom shall we be afraid? And uh, if He's the giver of life, which He is, He's the giver of light, which He is, He's the one that is supreme above all things. Uh, you know what? It's a legitimate question. Let's ask it right now. Who's greater than God that we should be afraid? Can you think of anybody? I mean, we got to be aware of spiritual warfare, but, you know, in the right context of, of leaning on the Lord and saying, He is my light, He is my salvation, I'm trusting in Him, do we need to fear Satan? Do we need to fear corrupt politicians? Do we need to fear the local coven? Some familiar spirit? God haters? Violent men? Now, I understand that we can go through trials and at times we get stretched and so forth. But ultimately, listen, we don't need to fear because in Christ Jesus, he has told us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He has told us in the world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, he's overcome. And we know how this ends. And David's in this place, again, where he's in a place of darkness, but he's, he's rejoicing in the Lord. I don't need to be afraid because he is my light and he is my salvation. And we need to rest in that, and we need to rejoice in that. And when fear comes to our hearts, again, let's stand in who we are in Christ Jesus and remember that he is with us. And think just literally, you know, sometimes we over-spiritualize stuff, but just step back and ask the question, who should I fear if God is my God? Even the trials and things going on, you know, sometimes there's trials of correction that God allows to correct us, to correct us. 
And sometimes there are trials of perfection that he allows to perfect us. But we do know he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So even when those things are happening, when we say, why is this happening? happening. This, this hurts. This is painful. We still need not fear because he's on the throne. And again, we know how this ends. There's victory in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, when the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh. Sounds like he was dealing with some zombies. <laughs> my enemy and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. And David's rejoicing in the faithfulness of the Lord. Again, there in exile, there were many times when you know, the enemy, Saul himself, came out to try to destroy David. And he rejoiced in God's faithfulness. So now as he's in this place where there's a temptation to fear, it seems real clear that once again, his enemies have come out. He's reflecting on the fact, I've been through this before and God has sustained me. So I need to rejoice in the fact that God is faithful and he's going to sustain me again. And listen, there's sometimes when enemies of the Lord seem to be having the upper hand, but in the end, again, we know that Christ has conquered sin, death, and Satan, and we have victory in him. What came to my mind when I was just considering that verse was Proverbs twenty four sixteen: For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And notice what he says, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and they fell. Because he's speaking about those here tonight that, you know, didn't have a faith in Christ. And we also know... Uh, you know, as followers of Christ, ultimately we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and so forth. And their plan is not going to prevail. We already have victory in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And let's rest in that tonight and rejoice in that. And again, when we are in those places where, you know, there are times of uncertain, let's step back and rejoice on God's faithfulness and to know that he's not going to cease being faithful to his own but the enemy plays these mind games with us and we play him with ourselves at times and, and we we forget we forget the facts right these are facts that we're talking about here um, you know what if he's the lord of your life you don't need to be afraid he's in control amen he, he is just a simple truth it's so simple and yeah why do we make it so complex we do don't we we start making lists of reasons why we should be afraid. But if he's our Lord, he's told us, don't fear. He's even said, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. So if we're walking in fear, we're not walking in his truth. We're listening to not the spirit of God, because that's the spirit we received, right? When we got saved, the Holy Spirit of God. So when he says, I've given you a spirit, not, you know, not of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, he's speaking of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, and this I will be confident. And again, I think David here is coaching himself up, encouraging himself in the Lord. There's obviously, again, uh, a group opposing him. And he even takes it another notch. It's not an army, obviously, because he says, though an army may encamp against me. There's someone encamped. It's not an army. He says, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, and this I'll be confident. Now, sometimes it's easy to say that because there's not an army there. But when the actual army shows up, sometimes you're like, well, I'm afraid now. You ever been there before? 
But the truth of the matter is that we need not fear. Um, we are in a war, absolutely. The Bible speaks of it. Uh, Ephesians 6 speaks of it. 2 Corinthians 10 speaks of it. Uh, but absolutely, we don't need to be afraid. Why? Because our confidence is found, again, in who? The Lord. And there's none that are greater than Him. We've got to understand, even in the midst of battles, even when it seems like we're being encamped against and we're outnumbered, um, and it seems more and more like that today, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, that it doesn't feel like the remnant's getting bigger, but smaller and smaller of people that say, hey, I really want to stand in the truth of God's word. And I say that without, I'm not trying to make a judgment on people's hearts, it's just simple observation. But I think of the story of Elisha and his servant when they were surrounded by the, Syri- the uh, Syrians there in 2 uh, Kings 6. And they're surrounded and basically a servant says, hey, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we're outnumbered. And he says, listen, there's more with us than with them. And he prays his servant's eyes will be open and his eyes are open up and he sees the hills full of chariots with fire. And not only did he see that there were more on their side than the other, he saw that, you know, these were mighty angels of God. And basically he was trying to say, listen, you don't need to be afraid. And uh, we need to rest in that. You know, again, if the Lord be for us, who be against us? I think this is incredibly important. It's very simple, but it's very important because, again, the enemy loves to use fear. He loves to use fear to keep believers from stepping out of faith. He loves to use fear to keep believers from growing in their faith, to paralyze them. He loves to use fear to, you know what, to try to snuff out the light of a believer's witness and so forth. He loves to use fear to not only get us to not step out of faith, but even to get us to step the other way and act in sin. Not to wait on the Lord, but instead of waiting on Him and resting in His counsel, to try to race ahead of him. And so it's incredibly important that we just really get this in our heart. Listen, if the Lord is your light, the Lord is your salvation, you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. You've acknowledged you're a sinner. You've asked Christ to forgive you. You've asked him to be the Lord of your life. You you believe he died and rose again uh, from the grave for your sins. You don't need to be afraid. Now, again, we talked about Sunday, a healthy fear of God. This is something completely different. We should have a fear of God. There's times when we should be fearful of, oh, I think I might end up in the woodshed for this. But that's not what David's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that he's trusted the Lord with his soul. Therefore, he's in God's hands. Part of being in God's hands is God ministers to his children. He says, I love you. And at times he also says, I'm going to correct you. But that's far different than, than, than having to be afraid. We can take the whole relationship back to us and our own kids. Again, there's a healthy fear of their parents, but they don't have to be afraid that the parent's going to leave the door open that night and invite a bunch of predators in to attack their kids. Though that could happen, but with the Lord, we don't need to be afraid. His plan is going to prevail. Get that in your heart tonight. Listen, he's my light, my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? Get that in your heart. Get it in your heart. I can't express it enough. Who shall I be afraid of? Can you get it in your heart tonight? 
take it out here with you. And the next time you're fearful of what may happen and you start creating all these scenarios and leaning on your understanding, you step back and say, wait a minute, I trust in the Lord. He's my light and my salvation. Who do I need to be afraid of? Who's greater than God? Who's going to thwart God? Who is going to have their plans prevail over the Lord's plans? The answer is nobody. Verse 4, David says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And it seems clear that David, again, is in exile. And David is longing to be in that place of worship while worshiping the Lord where he was at. And you see him longing for just a deeper fellowship with the Lord. And again, he voiced, one, things I've, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I'll seek to dwell in his house. Because, again, it's a picture of where the Lord was. I want to be where the Lord is. That's the beautiful place to be. Let me ask you tonight. If someone said you can have one desire, what's your one desire? You can have that. What would it be? Can we honestly say it'd be to draw closer to the Lord? To dwell in his presence in the sense of what Dave is talking about here, a deep intimacy with God, a connection of the Lord? There's probably times in our lives that if we're going to be honest, there would be a different desire there. And if that's the case, then let's ask the Lord to change our hearts. Amen. Let's be truthful with them. Paul talks about, you know, it is flesh and his spirit, and the one does one thing and the other does the other. That war that was taking place in them, and sometimes that's there, and when that's there, let's just ask the Lord, Lord, put my desires in order. God, I'm desiring something above you that I shouldn't be. Just as David's talking with the Lord honestly, Lord, crucify that desire because I know that it cannot bring what only you can bring, life and joy and, and you know what, a satisfaction and so forth that is eternal and ongoing. And then he says here, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And uh, there's no better place to inquire than with the Lord himself. Verse 5, for the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a high rock. Isn't that awesome? David knew about the refuge of the Lord. David knew in the midst of trouble he could turn to the Lord and the Lord would be that safe haven for him. Are you familiar with that tonight? Listen, if you're not, get familiar with it. Call upon the Lord. Draw near to him each day. Draw near to him in seasons and times of trouble. I mean, it's a daily thing, but especially, again, in these places like David was here, you know, in a, in a, in a place of desperation. Take refuge in him. I think part of the reason for trials at times is they, they drive us back to where we should be. And God's a jealous God. And he has a right to be jealous. You know why? Because he is God and there are no other gods. And part of that jealousy is him knowing that we have what he needs and him wanting to bestow that upon us. And there's times when he even allows things to happen to correct where we're at to say, listen, I need to get into the refuge over here. I need to get there again in that pavilion. I need to get in that secret place in his tabernacle. I need to get upon the rock of Christ in his council and go there and rest and fellowship with him. Well, how many times do we run everywhere else but to there? Verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. 
Therefore I will offer sacrifice of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Again, the enemies are surrounded David. David is in a place where it looks like he's on the losing end of things, in exile. But see, David understood the end game. David understood here, notice here, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. He doesn't say my head is lifted up. My head shall be lifted up. I know how this all ends. So I don't need to panic. I, I, don't, I don't need to, you know what, freak out here. We'll use a modern day term. I can rest. I know that my head will be lifted up. Why? Because the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. I know that I'm passing through. I know this is a fallen world. I know that there is going to be uh, trials here, tribulations, persecutions, oppositions. I know there's a spiritual battle, but my head shall be lifted up because I know how it all ends. We know how it all ends, amen? amen. Let me ask you this, and I'm going I'm to try not to use a lot of these illustrations, but I know some of you enjoy watching the National Football League, and I'm not saying this illustration to try to drum up conversation about that after service. We need to absolutely talk more about Jesus and less about that but I think it's a good illustration whether it's that sport or another one that's televised have you ever been in the place where you're not going to be able to be there to watch the game live so you're trying to record it so you can watch it later and pretend like it's live Any, anyone ever been there <laughs> and someone listen if you don't like football or whatever I think you'll be able to get the you'll be able to get the illustration and I think, it's, I think it's a good illustration. But someone texts you the score, or you get home and you think, oh, three and a half hours, certainly this game's over, and you, you turn it on, and they're lining up for the winning kick field goal. But somehow you find out the score. And let's just say for argument's sake, your team happens to win the game. And you know your team wins the game, but you still want to watch the game. So you know your team wins the game, but you're watching the game, and uh, your team's down 17 to 10 at halftime. Are you worried about anything? You know how the game ends, right? And you're just sitting there thinking, man, I'm really, you're, in fact, you might even be all the more happy. They're down by two touchdowns. This is going to be an awesome second half. We know how the game ends, the, the real game. We know how it ends. We have victory in Jesus Christ. And David is saying here, and now... My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. My head shall be lifted up. He knows the end game. We know that. We know we have victory in Christ Jesus. And as a result of it, he rejoices. Therefore, I offer sacrifice of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praise to the Lord. How many times, though, do we run around acting like we don't know the end of the game? When we know it. And instead of rejoicing, we run around grumbling and we run around with fear in our. We know how it ends. Christ is coming back. We know how it ends. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. We have victory in him. Our time here is very short. And boy, when you have joy in your heart and you're resting in faith, it makes the game even a whole lot better, so to speak. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. 
throughout Scripture, we are invited, we are encouraged to call after the Lord, we are encouraged to seek after Him. I mean, some of the first verses that people memorize is, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, there's certain verses I share all the time in, in prayer, you know, cast your cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. We're given that invitation. And David is taking the Lord up on that. You know, hear, O Lord, I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me, answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Again, David says, I want to take you up on your invitation, Lord. You've invited me to come seek after you. It looks good. I have nothing to fear. You're my light. You're my salvation. There's no one greater than you. I, I, I know the end game. And then on top of that, you don't just say, okay, well, you know how it ends, so I'm going to leave you over here. And then on top of that, you're saying, now come seek my face. And in the midst of all this awesomeness, let's fellowship together. And David's doing that. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Why would he say, don't turn... Uh, do not turn your servant away in anger. You know what? David recognized, again, he was right standing, right standing with God through faith, but he understood that, listen, there were times when he participated in things that the Lord, Lord wasn't pleased with. And I think in the midst of that, he's just saying, listen, Lord, be merciful to me. Don't leave me nor forsake me. And we've been told that he never will leave us nor forsake us, but I think this is David recognizing that, again, his righteousness was in the Lord, not in himself and I love verse 10 you know when my father and mother forsake me then then the Lord will take care of me have you ever been forsaken in this life you know one of the marks of the end times is is a lack of faithfulness a lack of faithfulness to the Lord to the word of God first and foremost and then a lot a lack of faithfulness of people one to another and uh, it's growing in our culture, especially the first one, a lack of faithfulness to the Lord and to God's word about things. And it, it just produces more of the other. And boy, you talk about, you know, the worst kind of, 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 of you know, the worst way to be forsaken by your father and your mother. Those are deep hurts, but he rests in, but the Lord's going to take care of me. We talked about a Sunday where Paul said, listen, everyone forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. And better to be on an island with the Lord than again on, on, a, on, a, on a continent with the world that's against the Lord. Maybe tonight you've been forsaken. Maybe tonight you have uh, been thrown under the bus. The Bible speaks if you're going to follow Christ that that may happen. Sometimes it happens even in families and so forth. And that's very discouraging. It's very heartbreaking. But listen, rest in the faithfulness of the Lord to you and in the healing hand of the Lord. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. I like this. David says, teach me your way, O Lord. He doesn't say, Lord, um, help me perfect my way. And let's make sure in our prayers to the Lord when we're trying to get through life, 
that we're in a place where we're saying, Lord, you teach me versus, Lord, you come bless what I'm doing over here because there's a big difference between them. And again, he speaks of the pursuit of the enemies. And no doubt when you are being pursued by enemies, a smooth path makes it much easier to get away. And, you know, you think of someone running down a smooth path and as they go, they're trying to knock stuff over to make it unsmooth for them, you know. But listen, is there any more of a smooth path than the cross of Calvary? I don't think it gets any more smooth than that. Uh, And that Jesus shed his blood for us. Jesus paid the price. It's finished in him. He was sinless. That means flawless. It's a flawless path. He was without spot, without wrinkle, tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. You can't get more smooth than that in the sense of what's being talked about here, you know, versus a crooked path or a corrupt path. And the Bible speaks about corruption and crookedness and equating that with sin and, and the opposite being a smooth path, a sinless path. And again, that is only found in Jesus Christ. And we know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. As he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. And again, we got an enemy named sin, and we got an enemy named death, and unless you're on that smooth path, it's going to gobble you up. And victory in it is only found in faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. And in this case, it seems clear that David was even speaking about the king of Israel, Saul. Saul had put forth a lot of false testimony about David. He did that to promote himself. He did that to promote his cause. I really think he came to the place where he believed it. You tell a lie enough times, you start believing it, right? Though there were times of clarity with Saul where he would even say, oh, you're far more righteous than I, David. Let's make a covenant that you won't, you know, destroy all of my descendants, And David graciously entered into a covenant like that with Saul, giving him mercy that Saul didn't extend to him. We know that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. I've said it many times, and it's true. He doesn't need to make stuff up, but he makes stuff up still. (laughs) And it is true. You read the Word of God, and you see... From cover to cover, men and women that want to serve God, oftentimes there are false witnesses that rise up against them to try to uh, bring accusation against their walks with the Lord, against their ministries. And uh, again, we know that they do that under the sway of the wicked one. But notice what David does. Um, He doesn't say, Lord, you know, come fund my defense campaign, does he? He says, Lord, you come defend me. You come deliver me. I'm going to put my trust in you. And listen, that makes it so much easier. Boy, there's some false witnesses that are slick. But, but, but in the Lord, who do we need to be afraid of? Do you need to be afraid of a false witness if you're in the Lord? Now listen, if there's some truth to that witness, then do business with the Lord. But that's the context here. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, part of what he's talking about are these false witnesses. These adversaries that, you know, would want to get their hands on David to do damage against him. They breathe out violence against him. But he turns to the Lord for deliverance. 
Verse 13, we're almost done here. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And again, boy, there's a lot of people losing heart today. I know a lot of believers that are losing heart when they shouldn't be losing heart because, again, what's he talking about? Or I know how it ends. I will lose heart, but I know how it ends. It's the third quarter. We're losing by 21 now. We were down 14 at halftime. I will lose heart, but I know how it ends. We win by two points at the end. And again, it's, it's comparing basically nothing to everything, but hopefully it paints a picture that we could get. You would, be, you would say, why are you losing heart? You know how the game ends. Why are you upset? Why do we do that? Do we ever lose heart because we fight of the fact that in Christ Jesus, we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Do you know in Christ you're going to dwell with Him forever in eternity? Do you, do, we know that, right? Why, do, why would we lose heart then? Especially when the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions and, you know, at times the, the, the corrections, we're already told ahead of time we're going to have those things. And then we act as if, well, what's going on here? Aren't we told... Consider it not strange when you encounter various trials. Oh, what's going on? Listen, you were told that was going to happen. We're, we're described in Scripture the days we're living and they would be perilous times. All this stuff, oh, I'm losing heart over what's going on with our government. You were told that was, was going to happen. Oh, I'm losing heart because, you know, with this ecumenical turning away from the gospel and all this. You were told that was going to happen. It's all the more we shouldn't lose heart. We should be encouraged in our hearts. And again, we know the final score. We know how it ends. In Christ Jesus, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Ain't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you put your trust and your faith in Christ. Verse 14. With all this said... Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Everything we've looked at should bring strength and good courage, right? What's the opposite of being courageous? It's being a coward. Why why do we act cowardly? Because we're afraid, right? Be of good courage. Be courageous. You're in the hands of the Lord. You don't need to be afraid. We don't need to run. And again, as we wait on him, he strengthens us. As we don't race ahead of him, again, it's the picture of not waiting. It's the picture of fleeing versus saying, listen, I'm going to stay and rest. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to do things his way. And he says it again, wait, I say on the Lord. We get bookend here in verse 14. Why do we get bookend? Because so many times in the middle of that, we're running off. We're not waiting. And again, who should we be afraid of? Who, are you, who did you come in here tonight afraid of? You ask yourself that. I'm sure all of us got a little list going on. 
And if you don't, you may have a list that someone's going to try to get started tomorrow. You might be having a good day. We don't need to be afraid. We know how it ends, right? Is God a liar? Has he not preserved his word? You're like, well, I just got saved and I'm, I'm, I'm in numbers. Well, listen. Skip ahead to, to Revelation tonight. You can read through the end. Read about the last four chapters. You see how it all ends. It ends good. In Christ, there's victory. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, God. We just thank you for the victory we have in you. Lord, all the emphasis in this is on you. Lord, if you're taken out of this, we have everything to be afraid of. But in you and what you've done, Lord, we need not fear. We want the fear of the Lord, but we need not fear. Lord, these are, these are simple things, but we make them so complex and we forget so easy. And there's so many times when we, we just don't believe when we need to believe. I pray that tonight our faith has been built up, Lord. And I pray you cast that fear far, from what, far away and we would know, you know, Lord, we're in your hands. You work all things for good for those that love you and are called according to your purposes. All things, every trial, every tribulation, every correction, every persecution. You work it for good. You work it for our good, for your glory. Listen, if you're here tonight and you haven't called upon Christ, I mentioned at one point the fact that we are sinners. God's holy. Our sin separates us from a holy God. We're under condemnation. We're under his wrath. This is where Jesus Christ comes in. He lived a sinless life that was required of us that we have not lived. And when he went to the cross, he took the wrath due me and you upon himself. He, he said, I'm going to stand in their place to make a way of escape for them. He took our punishment upon himself. But we have to make a choice whether we want to accept that on our behalf. And we do that by repenting or turning from whatever we're putting our faith in, the way we're living our life, to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want Jesus to rule over my life. I, I, I put my faith in, 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 in the God of Scriptures. You call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, you do that in sincerity. He'll wash you right now. He'll, he'll, he'll seal you with the Holy Spirit of God. He'll begin a good work, and He'll be faithful to complete. If you don't know him, call on him. Listen, if you call on him tonight, tell someone before you leave here. There's a lot of people here that would want, to, would want to pray with you. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Help you as you start your walk with Jesus Christ. Lord, bless the rest of our night. We just praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name.